podcast uses profanity and topics may be disturbing for some listeners. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Hell on Heels podcast. I'm Bryce. I'm Brianna. I'm Amanda. And welcome to episode 18, where we're officially adults. Y'all better watch out. <laughs> Not according to Texas, though. I don't understand it, that. Because you're legally tried as an adult at 17. That No, we're Texas. legally an adult, though. So try, being tried as yeah. an adult is different. Like, we can yeah. open a bank account now. Without our parents' signature. So. And now, you can now rent, get an apartment without mommy and daddy's help. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, how are you guys? Pretty good. I'm actually walking. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I just said not much to say. Amanda, I know you have some good news for us. Bad news. Some news. Kind of all of it. Um, I'm walking on cloud nine because the baby spit up in James's mouth the other day. Is that what you had to tell us? That's exactly what I had to tell you. And I had to tell you specifically on the podcast because he thought it was funny when she did it to me. How does it feel? How does it feel, sir? That's karma. James, you're not going to hear this because you don't you. listen because you're a jerk. <laughs> yeah, but I know. How rude of karma. him. He watches the clips. So if I clip it, he'll see it. And I'm probably going to clip it. Let's be real. Okay. Clip it. Clip mm-hmm. it good. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I don't I'm know not. where that came from. <laughs> Bryce, do you have any updates? Um... um, um, um I don't think about my week. No, I don't think so. I don't either. Let's get into the stories. That was a short update. Yeah, we don't have any. Do we want to shout out how many countries we have and say our new countries for the week for listeners? Let's do it. Um, Let's do it for us. That's always fun. Um, Yeah, I had it up just a second ago. Let me look. I don't think we have any new downloads. I don't know. So We definitely have new downloads for the week. Maybe not for the day, though. Oh, I'm at new locations. We have the oh, We don't okay. have lo- new locations. So as always, we have the U.S. I don't see, at a glance, I don't see any new states. So Washington, Oregon, California, Utah, Colorado, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas. I'm uh, sorry. Louisiana, for a second. Did you just say Colorado? Yes. It's Colorado. 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 Okay, can you not, not just... Can you not judge my Yukon accent? Watch your bed romance. Okay, you don't live in Utah, so it's my my accent. I live in Texas. It doesn't matter. It's Colorado. Rado. I said that, and I don't know why you're. You said Rado. Colorado. It's fine. It's the same thing. All right, um, Colorado. Sorry, it's not going to come out any other way. Uh, now you made me lose my damn page. <laughs> okay, hold on. Refuck this up, not me. Okay, <laughs> where was I? I said you Arkansas. You fucked it up by saying Colorado. Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, Minnesota, Tennessee, Georgia, New Orleans. Uh, oh, maybe that's Mississippi. Nope, that is Alabama. Uh, and then Florida, and then New York, Pennsylvania. I don't I'm know sorry, why when you're saying that. this, the only thing that's going on Ohio. in my right now is the state song. 
you know, Virginia. I'm not doing it in order for that, though. Colorado, Connecticut. I know, but every time you say, like, I don't know, Georgia, I want to go into Hawaii, Idaho, Illinois, Indiana. I don't remember that whole song. It's been a long time. Oh, New Hampshire. Okay, so those are our songs. Those are our states. Uh, We've got Mexico, Brazil. We have got Scotland was a new one for the week. Um, Ireland, Belgium, Germany, uh, Russia, and did I say Brazil already? I think so. Brazil and then Malaysia. Oh, and I forgot Alaska. Sorry, Alaska. Do we not have the UK yet? No. We have Scotland, which is right there next to them, so I think that counts. I also don't know why I said Scotland like that. So Scotland, Scotland. <laughs> yeah, we are not good at British accents. Nope, uh, I shouldn't have even tried. So that's what we Why have. Are you trying that's to do a British accent for Scotland? I don't know. I think I was trying to. We do just a lost Scotland. Scotland. No, we I'm just sorry, got Scotland. Scotland. But we just lost it. Actually, no. I was trying to do a British accent for the UK. <laughs> And I've been I told I'm pretty good at British accents if I want to try. Did you see that there? Did you see that right there? Oh, oh. Um, Scotland. I don't know what I was trying to do, so let's just blame Bree throwing me off and judging my <laughs> accent. Fuck you. Whatever. Yeah. All right, so that was fun. That's where all of our listeners are from right now. We like you guys. You guys. We are officially coining the term. Hellion for you guys. So, yeah, y'all are our Hellion. So, Thank you. We love you. And if yeah. you want to be fancy, you can say Hellions on heels. Yeah, go go be a Hellion on heels. I like it. Oh, I forgot Canada. We also have Canada. I didn't forget you. You're there. You're just- and you know what? If y'all are listening to the podcast and y'all follow our Instagram, or if you want to follow our Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, Go ahead and, you know, just post a picture of y'all on heels and may post it to our Instagram or Facebook or Twitter because y'all are our Hellions and you would be on heels. Hashtag Hellions. I don't know when we talked about this, but I guess we're doing it. We did it. it, it, it. I don't know. I just thought of that. Be so ready for all those uh, tweets at you, Amanda, for... Hellion on heels. I'm gonna have to look at so many feet now. <laughs> I'm not Gosh, excited. I'm sorry. That blame Brie. She's okay. This up tonight. We we want a full body picture with okay, you now in that's heels. Worse. We don't we don't just want you know just you in heels. Okay. Okay. Good. Uh, now you there's a, a lot of weirdos of, out there. Yeah. We're going to get a lot of pictures that are just people in only All right. heels. All right. You can't and continue the rules. Well, speaking of fucked up, um, I'm going to get into my story because it is a long one. I just burped. And it I'm is fine. very depressing. So here's, here's, here's that for you. Y'all ready? I am ready. In 1932, Surgeon General Shiro Ishii was given command of the Army Epidemic Prevention Research Laboratory, or the AEPRL. Ishii established the TOGO unit, a secret group dedicated to conducting biological and chemical warfare experience. TOGO unit was housed in Zongma Fortress, and that's a prison in south of Harbin, which is now present-day China. 
Prisoners were well fed there, but they were eventually drained of their blood and denied nutrients or water. And their depleting health was noted as some were vivisected with no anesthesia and others were subjected to plagued rats and other diseases. In autumn of 1934, a prison break and an explosion soon after jeopardized the secret operation. So Ishii shut it down in 1935. A year later, he would move to a bigger facility in Harbin. And that facility is what we're going to talk about today. Unit 731 is what it's pretty widely known as. It was short for Manchu Department 731 or also the Camo or Camo Detachment of Ishii Unit or excuse me, or Ishii Unit. And y'all, I'm sorry, this is a lot of Japanese. Okay, bear with me. I'm very American. I'm very not Japanese. Covert unit. I'm sorry, it just dawned on me that you said you're very not Japanese. <laughs> and my it's mind accurate. was blown. Sorry, Buck keeps trying to take Annie's toys. Well, um, maybe if you got him more toys, he wouldn't try to steal the baby's toys. Maybe if he wouldn't rip the faces off of every toy that I get him, he would get more toys. He just rips the face off and then he's done. The face. But don't get a toy with a face. You know how hard that is? He loves balls, but he always pushes them under something and then barks at it until we go get them. (laughs) That's about right. (sighs) Yeah, I know that one. Um, I'm pretty sure I just bought the puppy a mash chew toy. It doesn't have a face on it. You sent me a picture of that, and I like uh-huh. that. You That's sent both of us a picture of that. Mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> she doesn't touch it because it's not a fun one, apparently, but I have it. I own it. So now I guess it's my toy. I don't know. Sorry. One day it'll me. be fun for her. <laughs> the day that I freaking use it. Unit 731 is a covert unit that researched biological and chemical warfare during World War II. It was originally created by the Japanese government to promote public health. And volunteers would come in and they would sign consent waivers to be experimented on. And it was aimed at learning more about how the body could withstand hunger, thirst, and disease. Um, Now, as the war got worse, so did the experiments that they were doing on these people. What year was this again? It was... Or, I guess... I get more into the actual year, but it's in like the 1930s. Okay. Oh, really? That wasn't even the start of World War II, was it? Uh, Yeah, I think World War II was like 30 to 35. Yeah, something like that. No, it ended in 45. I can guarantee that. I have that in my notes, too. We're going ahead. 1939 to 45. 39 to 40. Okay, so we were 10 years off. Sorry. (laughs) Like I said, I researched this heavily. Um, In 1925, the Geneva Accords banned the use of biological or chemical weapons in war, but Japan wanted to be prepared for that anyway. And I'm pretty sure they weren't the only country that wanted to be prepared for it. Just the only one I read about. Since people were obviously not going to willingly sign over consent to be experimented on like that, Japan used POWs as test subjects. The unit... 731. I'm sorry, will you please confirm what a POW is? Prisoner of war. Okay. Unit 731's victims were mostly Chinese and Russian, but they were also Mongolians and Koreans as well. It was led by microbiologist Surgeon General Shiro Ishii. And I'm going to tell you just a little bit about this man because I want you to know who was running this whole shindig. He was the fourth son of Katsuya Ishii 
and he was born June 25th, 1892 in Shibayama, Japan. His father was a landowner and a sake maker, and the Ishii family was actually the largest landholder in their community. In school, he was a teacher's favorite, and they said he had a photographic memory and that he could read really complicated books cover to cover one time and be able to recite it completely. Classmates described him as... I have a photographic memory. I can only memorize pictures. You can't memorize words on a page. That's not how it works. It's the recall that they're referring to in that they're able to recall that information. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a picture in their brain, but they can envision that picture in their brain and then read it. Shit. I wish I had that kind of photographic memory. Shit, me too. I wish I had any kind of memory. Classmates described him as brash, abrasive, and arrogant. He studied medicine at Kyoto Imperial University and was commissioned to the Imperial Japanese Army in 1921 as a military surgeon. He impressed his superiors so much they sent him back to school in Tokyo to pursue post-grad medical school in 1924. The second time at school, Ishii was known for growing bacteria pets in petri dishes as companions. Wait, and his companion? Wait. Yes, bacteria pets. Pets? Do yes. they fetch? Maybe on a microscopic rice. level. They don't play fetch like your dog does. Well, no shit. I'm just confused how it's a. I don't. I don't understand how that's a pet. That's, that's just what he saw them as. Like this was exactly how are they considered companions? I go on Does to he say really that he not have that many friends. I go on to say, yeah, he doesn't get along with people that often. <laughs> you know what? So, <laughs> no fucking kidding. His classmates were angered by his pushy behavior and indifferent indifference. And another thing I read that he had a habit of doing his work in the lab like late at night or in the middle of the night after his classmates had cleaned it and then he would just leave a big mess when he was done and they that's what they would come back into the next day okay i've personally never really been in a lab to like test this theory but i have a feeling that his classmates were really fucking pissed about that i mean how would you feel if someone just randomly came in in the middle of the night did some research fucking left the whole place of shit then you come in the next day try to do some research you fucking can't there's just shit everywhere fuck that it's okay you have your bacteria to talk to you don't need to <laughs> fuck that in 1927 ishii began advocating for a bioweapons program and he researched biological and chemical warfare extensively and he gained a following of supporters to support him sorry that was stupid i don't know where i was going with that he described during this he was described during this time as being fiercely loyal to the emperor. He had an enthusiastic personality and a daring and carefree attitude. And it was said during this time you could also find him working in the lab late at night, but it was because earlier in the night he would go out on the town with his friends. He was known for heavy drinking, embezzling and being a womanizer, but he did eventually gain support from multiple people including the Japanese minister of the army. And he reached the rank of senior army surgeon. He would eventually get his wish on August 1st, 1936, when he was given formal control of Unit 731. This is where it gets heavy. Sorry, unit- his wish? Did yeah. he, like, wish to get this unit? Yes, he wanted to test uh, biological weapons, chemical warfare, stuff like that. Okay. 
Unit 731 was officially known as the Epidemic Prevention and Water Purification Department of the Kwantung Army. They referred to humans as Maruta, which is wooden logs. And that is what they used to experiment. So they, they literally called humans logs. And it started as a joke because local authorities thought that the building was a lumber mill. And they would use it in context like, during this experiment, these many logs fell, or this many logs fell. And it was... Wouldn't huh? that just be people dying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, later, they claimed that humans were so referred to in this way. Huh? The, the logs referred to people dying? I'm sorry, I really didn't catch what you just said. People were referred to as wooden logs. So after they were like recapping or recalling an experiment, they would say these this many logs fell in this experiment. So this many people died. Oh my, crazy. Later, after it was all shut down, they claimed that humans were referred to like that to ease the consciousness of the researchers and the doctors that are experimenting on them. You know what would really Almost like a desensitization. Sensitization. I don't know what I just said. I like said. sensitization more. <laughs> Look, y'all, this is uh, this fried my brain, but I I couldn't stop. Researchers actually published some of the findings here, but they obviously didn't publish that they it was tested on humans. They worded it to make it seem like the experiments had been performed on monkeys instead of humans. How would they word Wait. that? I have no idea. I couldn't find it. I couldn't Maybe find they the called actual them ape-like creatures, primates. Yeah, primates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, wow, another spoiler crazy. alert: these people are not treated well. If you couldn't. Wow. I thought they were like living the life. Obviously, Amanda. No. Me that they no. even like treat apes like that, and that people are okay with other people treating apes like that. But keep keep going. Um, can, I'm going to do a side note really quick. We're going to diverge. It took me probably a good five minutes to realize you're not doing a paranormal story. You're on true crime. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know where my brain went. I'm over here like, what is the paranormal story coming in? It's probably because I, I was talking to you about the paranormal before we probably. started researching. Or before we started recording. <laughs> okay. Probably. Sorry. Continue. Test subjects varied in an attempt to give a wide selection of the population that they experimented on, but they included common criminals, bandits, anti-Japanese partisans, political prisoners, the homeless, and the mentally handicapped. And they also had people captured by the military police for suspicious activities. And this included men, the elderly, infants, and pregnant women. Because infants are real suspicious. Cells were were reported to have wooden floors and one short toilet. There was a small walkway between the cell walls and the prison walls that guards used to walk behind the cells. Cell doors had a window so small it was said that it was hard to see inside. And inside they had prisoners in chains. Some were walking around. Some were on the floor sick and helpless and not even being able to move. The building itself was heavily fortified and staffed. If prisoners were somehow able to escape this building, they never did, despite a couple times being able to escape their cells. If they made it out of that building, they still had to scale a brick wall three meters or 9.8 feet high 
and a dry moat filled with electrical wires. Oh, oh that is terrible. And I like how you're saying prisoners and not, oh, what is the word I'm thinking of? Patient? No. Volunteers. Like scientific experiments. Yeah. Yeah. Volunteers, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. I, I mean, basically, they I call them being prisoners. They were, ch- mm-hmm. they were literally chains. I mean, that, I mean, that yeah. has my mind blown. So if y'all want to look at that first picture that I have, you can see the moat around the, the whole compound. Girl, and then I am that, not used to looking at black and white photos. I cannot see no moat nowhere. It's not it doesn't have water Bree. Yeah, it's just a square. It's like a dark square in the ground. You can see roads going over it. The building on the right that's a it looks like a window, it's like a square with a cross in the middle of it. That is where they held all the prisoners. So if they broke out, they would have to break out of that building, jump that big old wall, and then somehow get through this electrified moat. Ugh. Here comes the bad part. A the professor bad- who's yeah, the it's, it's about to get gnarly. A professor who studied at Kyoto University during the war, he ended up watching some footage of human experiments and executions from Unit 731, and this is an exact quote from him. Some of the experiments had nothing to do with advancing the capability of germ warfare or of medicine. There is such a thing as professional curiosity. What would happen if we did such and such? What medical purpose was served by performing and studying beheadings? None at all. That was just playing around. Professional people, too, like to play. What? Yeah. They literally beheaded people? Mm-hmm. Just for fun. As in they decapitated them? Uh, to study. Yes. Not no, for no, funsies. No, he for he said it was for funsies. To study. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So now I'm going to get into a little bit more of what they did there. Approximately 300 researchers, doctors, and bacteriologists preyed on the countless victims by multiple forms of torture. Men and women in the prison were infected with diseases like syphilis and gonorrhea under the pretense they were being vaccinated. Later, the injections were abandoned and prisoners were just forced to engage in sexual acts to transmit the disease. They were then vivisected at different stages of infection to document how organs react to disease and... A vivisection is basically where they cut you open and look at your organs. They dissected people. So that would essentially kill the person. If they were lucky. Because they were not given pain medicine when they vivisected people. They just cut them open. Oh my goodness. Documents and witness accounts even describe children growing up in Unit 731 being subject to similar tests as their mothers were. Forced pregnancies were also performed for experimental purposes. This was deemed necessary as they explored the possibility of transmitting diseases, particularly syphilis, from mother to child. They also studied fetal, fetal survival and damage to the mother's reproductive hey, system. How did organs. they know that these women had syphilis? Did did they, they know, or them? did just they gave they it, gave to, it them? to them? Yeah, mm-hmm. they studied. They also studied fetal survival and damage to the mother's reproductive system organs. Mothers were vivisected at different stages of pregnancy to document how the fetus was growing. While men were often used in one study to prevent the the results being swayed by other variables, women were often subjected to bacteriological, physiological, and sex experiments, as well as sex crimes. And fuck, men and women are not equal. Fuck that. A guard told a story of two researchers and how they were talking about having some time to kill before an experiment 
So they unlocked a cell and one man started raping the prisoner inside. The other guard went to the cell of another victim and she just happened to be a frostbite victim, which they also studied here. She was missing fingers and her bones were black with gangrene set in. He was going to rape her regardless until he realized her reproductive organ was festering with pus oozing to the surface. Only then did he lock the door and leave. Prisoners were also infected with bubonic plague, cholera, smallpox, smallpox, botulism, and multiple other diseases. At the very least, 12 large-scale field trials of biological weapons were tested, and at least 11 Chinese cities were attacked with biological agents. Plague-infected fleas were bred in laboratories and spread by low-flying planes in Ningbo, Changde, and Hunan province in 1940 and 1941. Typhoid and paratyphoid germs were spread in wells, marshes, and houses in Nanking. They even put them in snacks and passed them out to locals. And the researchers would later be excited to conclude that paratyphoid fever was the most effective. An attack on Changde in 1941 led to 10,000 biological casualties, along with the death of 1,700 Japanese soldiers, and most cases were said to be due to cholera. The research that they gathered in that attack would lead to the development of the defoliation bacilli bomb, and that is described as Wikipedia as a lethal munition that provided the Japanese with the ability to launch devastating biological attacks that infected agriculture, reservoirs, wells, and populated areas with anthrax, plague-infected fleas, typhoid, dysentery, and cholera. Sure, this As isn't a-, a paranormal story, because I don't know how humans could really do that. Oh, if that's not bad enough, later Ishii comes in, and he's, in 1938 actually, he presents the idea of, hey... Let's put these in porcelain shells to just add some shrapnel to the mix. Porcelain what? Porcelain shells, like a, like a ball. They would put a porcelain ball over it. During the experiments, researchers would don protective suits and examine victims as they died. And there's a picture of this, too. The second picture is actual General Ishii. And in the rest of the photos, they're doing experiments. And you can see them with these suits on. Japan actually planned to launch an attack on okay, San Diego. I just want to say those suits look creepy as fuck. Doesn't look like they have a mouth or anything. Looks mm-hmm. like, if anything, they're a fucking cartoon character. And then they've got sunglasses on. Because they're completely covered. They, is co- they are covered because they're dealing with bacterial and chemicals and stuff. They are as covered as they can possibly be and still do this. Oh my goodness. Japan actually planned to launch an attack on San Diego in Operation Cherry Blossoms at night. Ishii planned to wage biological warfare on Southern California during the final months of World War II, but the plan was canceled right after it was finalized because Japan ended up surrendering five weeks before the attack was scheduled to happen. Unit 731 also tested weapons on human targets. They threw grenades at them from different distances and positions. They tested flamethrowers on people. People were tied to wooden stakes and used to test pathogen-releasing bombs, chemical weapons, shrapnel bombs, excessive, um, excuse me, explosive bombs, and even bayonets and knives. Other tortures, um, they would put prisoners in low-pressure chambers until their eyes popped out. They would pump victims full of animal blood. Horse was a specific example that I found. They would hang them upside down until they died. They would crush them with heavy um, objects. Did pumping the... I'm actually curious about this. Did pumping the humans with horse blood actually work? 
like with with the human heart no it it did it did not i didn't see any cases of it working but i'm not gonna lie i did not research that that hard i didn't go too far into any of these specific things all of this is just creepy as fuck Mm -hmm. they would also electrocute people they would dehydrate people with hot fans they would put victims in centrifuges and spin them until they died yes Hold and on. for anybody that doesn't know, me? sorry, go on. A centrifuge is described by Merriam-Webster as a machine uses centrifugal. I hate this word centrifugal force for separating substances at different densities, for removing moisture, or for simulating gravitational effects. People use centrifuges if you were to like separate cream from milk. Okay, imagine that, and they put people in them. Mm, I don't like it. People were exposed the to lethal doses. You, I'm sorry that I'm late replying. But the way that she describes that just, yeah, make exactly what Bryce said just makes me not for it. That sounds terrifying yeah, in every single way possible. This is a, uh, yeah, I'm sorry for that. Like, that's the best way I know how to describe it. That specific torture. Um, where was I? They were exposed to lethal doses of x-rays. They were injected with salt water. They were burned and buried alive. They would perform blood transfusions on incorrect blood types. So they would mix A with O and AB with A negative. And then they would document the changes in pulse and temperatures. Why? 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 What the fuck? I mean, obviously obviously an A type can't take a B type. Obviously an A positive can't take a B negative. What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, it's just the... The blood, the blood matches with the blood. O is universal. You can match O with anything. Don't match A with what? Mm-hmm. I people were people were subject to chemical weapons in gas chambers and sometimes in field conditions. Some victims in the field conditions specifically, some victims had gas masks. Others would wear military uniforms, and others were just thrown out there in their underwear. And they would test mustard gas, cyanisic acid gas, and white phosphorus. And this is just a few of them that I recognized. They were infected with multiple toxins, including tetrodotoxin, I believe is how I said, is pufferfish venom. They injected people with heroin, Korean bindweed, and ricin. What? They would also. What is Korean bindweed or ricin? Do you have any Uh, idea? Korean, uh, let me see. I don't know what Korean bindweed is. So you you got to simpl- simplify it for us. We're American. <laughs> I think ricin is actually like uh, castor, castor, castor oil, something like that. Really? Oh, or they it comes from that plant. That? Mm-hmm. I have my own question. Yes? Well, my question is... Wouldn't it be shorter of a list to tell us what they didn't inject in them? Probably, yeah. Okay. And Korean bindweed and ricin, they're both just That's a good question, toxic Bryce. plants. Shorter so question. they're both different okay. kinds of plants, but they're both toxic. Okay. They would experiment with frostbite and captives would be taken outside and different body parts would be dipped in different, different temperatured waters. After it froze... I'm sorry, this was after they were dead at least, right? No. Mm. All of this happened when they were alive. After the limbs froze, they would record hitting them 
with a short stick, and they said it made a sound like a board. After they froze the limbs, they would chip the ice away and expose the area to more experiments, like pouring water on it or adding heat. I'm literally going to cry. This is so sad. By the time the war ended, Ishii's network included units 731, which is the one we've mainly talking about today, Unit 731, 100, 516, 1855, 8604, 9420, and unit I-1644. These units were in various cities. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to ask, do you by chance know how many people there were exactly, like how many volunteers there were? Um, I get into it later, but in short, nobody knows. We will never know. Because they didn't keep records and they weren't doing it in the mm-hmm. good way. Oh is God. there a good way to do any of that? No, but. That is so sad. Holy shit. So the units were in various cities throughout Manchuria, China, Singapore, and they employed more than 10,000 employees. And I actually read somewhere that it was said Japanese doctors and professors wanted to join here because they could experiment on people. And they were really strongly supported financially from the army. So people wanted to work here basically just to experiment on people. That's t- what? Mm-hmm. Ugh, that's not even the worst part. Unit 731 was quickly abandoned to avoid the Red Army in August of 1945. And the Red Army, I didn't know what that was. It's the Workers and Peasants Red Army, is what it's actually called. And it's an army and air force in. The Army and Air Force of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. Wow. Yeah. I had to read that and make sure I read it right, because I'm not going to lie, y'all. I'm not good at history, so. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually, like, kind of decent at history, but I have no clue what the fuck that is. Uh, I was just going to say, I think it's, um, I don't think it's the same thing now. I think this is what it was called in 1945. I don't know if it's the exact same thing. But I think it's like Soviet Russia or Russia. I'm not sure. If I'm wrong, Russia, I'm sorry. Okay, so the Soviets, essentially. But like a separate party from the Soviets, they're not necessarily connected to the Soviets. It's, I think it's a specific army. I think it's a specific army. Like possibly a specific branch. Like how we have Navy, okay. Army, National Guard. That yeah, kind of stuff. that makes sense. I think. That's I'm kind not of Russian. what I was trying to say. When they abandoned Unit 731... In order to destroy all incriminating evidence, obviously come down, potential witnesses were gassed or fed poison. Members of Unit 731 were ordered by Ishii to disappear and, quote, take secrets to the grave. They even issued vials of potassium cyanide in case they were captured, they could kill themselves. A small crew Not of Ishii... I would literally share my story to the end of the fucking world. Like, shit. No. You Even fucking, today, you did this shit to me. I'm gonna. The, oh no. Here's what they did to me. Here's what I plan to do. Here's what you should do to them. Bam. There's no survivors ever found, ever. Oh my goodness. Yeah. A small crew of Ishii's Japanese troops stayed behind and they actually blew up the compound in an attempt to destroy evidence. A lot of the compound is still there and China has actually made it into a museum that you can go to. And kind of learn about all of this stuff. The well, plague infected mice. You, this, this is not a haunted story. 
No, not a not a haunted story. Yeah. This was this is not a haunted story, but like there must be so many hauntings at that specific place. I mean, holy shit. The, I mean, the number of things that they did to those people, plus they had 10,000 employees for what, like five different units? Uh, I, I mean, think it was like six or eight, something like that, different units. Okay, eight, eight different units. That's, a, that's 800 and 800. That's a thousand different employees for each fucking unit. I mean, that means that there's l- probably about five times more at the very least. Five times more people, vol- volunteers, in that whole vicinity. It, we need to do a haunted story about this, y'all. Amanda, I look into it, please. It's not gonna be. It's not gonna be uh, the next episode. Spoiler That's alert. That's okay. But. That's okay. But there's got to be a haunted story about this shit. So the plague-infected mice that I told y'all about—they uh, release them. Just let them go. Why? Why not? Because they wanted to kill everybody. There was... Now, I couldn't find a casualty from that because it probably wasn't documented. But there was an estimated 30,000 casualties could have come from that, from the mice being released. What type like of people said, do that? <laughs> I'm glad you asked because I'm going to get into... I'm going to get into that later, too. I was just like going to say the uh, type of people who experiment on people for no goddamn reason and who are complete bitches and just don't just i i can't the end you you get what i'm saying i told y'all earlier there are no known surviving victims of unit 731 the numbers of the victims vary by source uh unit 731.org estimated 3,000 enemy soldiers and civilians were used as guinea pigs and 400 remaining prisoners were shot when the facility was closed. Military-history.fandom.com, they say between three and 12,000 died from experiments inside the compound, and tens of thousands died from field experiments. Most websites that I read, they said we will never know how many victims were actually subject to these experiments. Now, the Soviet forces did manage to arrest some of the researchers that worked at Unit 731, and they were tried for their war crimes in 1949. Twelve Japanese doctors and army commanders were sentenced anywhere from two to 25 years in a, sub- in a Siberian labor camp, with most getting the maximum 25 years. And I was curious, so I was able to find that a laboratory orderly received the smallest two-year sentence. And a corporal in the military who is a probationer medical orderly got three years. And these seemed like kind of lower, very lower on the totem pole type jobs. The other 10 people, they received between 10 and 25 years. And I did go on to read that after their sentences, 11 of the 12 people were sent back to Japan, the one that did not go back, ended up committing suicide while he was in the camp. So Russia, they did their time. Russia sent them, or not Russia, excuse me, the Soviet Union, Soviet forces. They sent them back to Japan. The United States had a very different approach to this. General Douglas MacArthur secretly made a deal to give the researchers immunity in exchange for the data 
gathered during human experimentation so they could add the info into our own biological warfare program while simultaneously keeping it out of other countries' hands. The fuck? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The U.S. said that the Soviet trials were communist propaganda and refused to acknowledge them. And among those granted war, immunity, war crime immunity by the U.S. was Ishii because of the data he gave us. And here's what I found most fucked up about that. According to Wikipedia, less than 5% of the documents on human experimentation were transferred onto microfilm and stored into the National Archives of the United States before being sent back to Japan. Also, according to Wikipedia, after the war, most U.S. researchers believed that the data on human experimentation gained from the deal was of, quote, little value to American biological weapons and medicine. Reports also claim that the data was crude and ineffective, and one expert specifically called it amateurish. Many graduates of Unit 731, as I kept calling them disgustingly called, or I'm sorry, I kept seeing them disgustingly called, went on to be very successful and hold positions like Governor of Tokyo, President of, Japanese, President of the Japanese Medical Association, Director of Health Ministries Preventative Health Research Center, Chairman of President Green Cross Corporation. You want to know what that is? Yes. It is a fucking biopharmaceutical corporation. Oh. They develop and commercialize vaccines, protein therapies, and therapeutic antibodies for use in oncology and infectious disease. Oh. Well, the a few of them... Popular. I haven't heard of them, so... A few of them also became heads of multiple Japanese medical schools. And Yoshisuke Murata became director of Kyoto University Medical School and later medical director at Kinki University. I don't know if that's how you pronounce that. He was the man solely in charge of the vivisections. Multiple sources stated Japan has never apologized for their actions and China has never forgotten them. The pictures that I included, I just wanted to say these are not the most graphic ones I found. I did not put any there pictures of children and stuff like that. I didn't put any of them in there because they were hard for me to look at. But if you are morbidly curious like I am and you want to see more, a lot of them I found from china-underground.com. They had a lot of good information and a lot of good pictures. I do see one picture of children, though, and it's of the, I don't know, the most profound image out of that photo is the man placing something, I don't know what it is, onto a baby's, looks like their heart, or it could be a one-year-old, not 100% sure, but I did find that one picture. From what I read, those children were actually part of a bacteriological experiment. Oh, goodness. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that's over with. I just, was- I'm sorry. I heard about that. Like, James mentioned it. And I was like, what? I never knew about this. This is fucked up. That- I have no words. That was a very difficult one to get through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had to stop and rub my face in frustration a bunch of times. Wow. Oh, wow. That's so Brie, you have a story, right? I don't can top that. But yes, I do. Sorry, Amanda, so... not to like cut your glory short, but no, also... yes. cut no, it short. I 
I literally have no fucking words to describe that shit. I mean, I feel like I mostly talked about my viewpoints during the story, but I mean, just those poor victims, they, I, I forget what you called them exactly, but they were just experiments. They weren't volunteers. I mean, maybe they volunteered and signed a paper, but at the end of the day, like you can't just sign a paper and then just go through all of these experiments and then die. Like no, these it, people that I talked about most, uh, most of the people that I talked about, they weren't volunteers. They, they were captured. The volunteers was at the very beginning when they first opened it and they were strictly researching like starvation and stuff like that. Okay. It was, not then, volunteer ran for long. Yeah. Then in that case, these these poor victims, I mean, they went through so much. And I mean, in so little time, if you can imagine World War II ended in 45 and this started in what, 29 is what she said? No. What year Unit did it start at? Mm-hmm. Unit 731 was, like, well into the uh, the war. It was only operated for, I believe, about five years, something like that. We went on for five years. What the... Mm-hmm. I mean, the number of experiments that they did, the number of processes that these people went through, I mean, absurd. You can't rationalize any of that. And I feel like, I mean a lot of the things that they experimented on so many people knew about already why the fuck does japan want to re-experiment on these types of things not okay not okay and this i did also read that this is a still to this day a very touchy subject for a bunch of uh southeast southeast asian countries specifically china korea japan those were the ones that I've read that are still kind of testy about it. I, I hope I did not offend anybody by doing this story. I was just kind of appalled at it and just wanted to share it. I mean, it's completely appalling. I totally understand. I mean, the word needs to get out about this kind of stuff. And as I said, the number of experiments that were done and just the fact that this, honestly, I feel like this guy, Ishi Shiro, is that how you pronounce it or how you pronounced it? Backwards. She wrote Ishii. Oh, she wrote Ishii. Mm-hmm. I feel like he just, he was a monster in what he did. And there's no rationalizing that whatsoever. Now, after the war, I did read that he actually, he died not long after the war. He kind of lived on the outskirts and he died from, I think it was, uh, how do you say the word? Laren- Laryngitis? No, the cancer. That is the cancer, I think. That then. I know it's a long word and I can't. Oh, no. Laryngitis is just an inflammation of your voice box from overuse, irritation, or infection, according to www.mayoclinic.org. Well, then that's easy. He died of cancer of the voice box. I'm on to my story. Okay. So this story was popularized by a specific movie. I'm not going to get into it until 
I get into the before I get into the haunting section. But it was popularized by a, by a specific movie. And I don't know why I just said that because I'm literally about to get into that before I get into the But before I get into the hauntings, however, I do want to clear up some things that the movie brought to light. Annabelle is a doll that was popularized by a specific movie called The Conjuring and movies after that as well. However, she is not a porcelain doll with lifelike features as depicted in the movie. She is a Raggedy Ann doll with stitch features, including her half-smile, big circular-shaped eyes, and bright orange triangular nose. Y'all can go ahead and go to the second picture. Sorry for the mix-up. I was already looking at them because I had a Raggedy Ann doll when I was little, and I loved her. Yeah. Not after this story. She has red yarn hair and is dressed in a white cotton dress-like shirt with ruffles at the top and blue pattern sleeves. The owners of the doll were not members of a satanic cult, as also depicted in the movie, but the spirit attached to Annabelle the doll was pretended to be that of an innocent young girl. The owners also never tried to throw Annabelle away, which is also shown in the movie. I'm just going to say, you always tell us, oh, it's a little girl, and you just said portrayed as. So that gives me the feeling, after the story, you're not going to trust little girl spirits. I first, I'm not, but, you know, they, they got to warm up to me. Just as any human does, right? I'm not I just don't... going to let a random innocent innocent girl come into my life, you know? I mean, they have to be, you know, I have to, like, get to know them. This is a I don't process. want to get to know a ghost. I don't want to get to know most humans. The hauntings can be traced back 50 years to 1970, when Annabelle was brand new. Ed and Lorraine Warren, the famous paranormal investigators, and Lorraine, a famous paranormal medium, tell the true story of Annabelle. She was given as a gift to a young nurse named Donna, or Deirdre, depending on the source, but I'll most likely use, not that, use Donna throughout the story. Donna or what? Deirdre, D-E-I-D-R-E. Deirdre. 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 There's no A at the end. It's Deirdre. Either way, that is two completely different names. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. But I'll get into why they're, com- why they're different names later. Okay. Um, so she was given it as a gift to this nurse named Donna, or Deirdre, from her mother for her 28th birthday. And Donna was thrilled. She brought it back to her apartment and she shared it with her roommate named Angie. And they both loved it. At first, the doll was normal. She sat on the sofa in the living room and greeted visitors with her visage and just complimented the room entirely. They, from what I understand, they made the living room look like I don't know. It wasn't very, it was kind of plain colored. And, you know, this redheaded doll just brought out all of the lights in it. 
But before long, Donna and Angie began to notice that Annabelle moved around in the room out of her own accord. And at first, her movements were subtle and confined. And in the morning, Donna would sit on her living room sofa before leaving for work. But after a while, she'd come home in the afternoon and find Annabelle in her bedroom with the door shut. Sometimes they'd find the doll with its legs crossed and its arms folded. I just want to say that makes me think it's like, you know, a parent's like when they're waiting for you to come home and you're late. Legs crossed, arms folded. Exactly. Oh, Annabelle does. was disappointed. Yeah. She she hated she that she thought like it was late. How dare she? Disappointed parent that everyone had. You know? Just like, where have you been, young lady? I had two disappointed parents. Me too. <laughs> Literally same. <laughs> On other occasions, however, it was found up standing on its own two feet. No, thank you. Leaning against a dining room chair. They even discovered it kneeling on a chair, which was strange because if, essentially, if they tried to make it kneel on its own, it physically could not. It would just fall down and collapse, right? The doll was made of cotton, and it physically could not kneel on its own. The young women just started finding notes lying around in their apartments with the words, and these are from different sources, but they kind of read the same thing. Help me, help us, help Lou. I'll get into who Lou is later, but they were in a childlike handwriting on parchment paper, which the women did not keep in their homes. And these girls literally had no idea where these notes were coming from because, as I just said, they didn't keep them in their home. So it was very bizarre. Donna reported later to Ed and Lorraine Warren that she came home from work one day to find what looked like blood on the back of the doll's hands and three drops of blood on her chest, on Annabelle's chest. And there was no explanation for how this got there. Is it still there? No. I don't know what exactly happened to it, but I know that it, from previous stories that I have read, it possibly vanished within two to three days. I'll get into how I know that later. You know what? At least it cleans itself up. I need to be clean itself up. Yeah, like I don't know. I I don't I don't know. Never mind. I don't <laughs> want to talk bad about Annabelle. I'm not um, gonna do it. She's great. Saying she's wonderful, but she's one. She's wonderful. She's wonderful. You better hope there is holy water surrounding that doll. Thank you. So I said that I would get into Lou's identity later. However, I did not realize that it was the next paragraph. Um, Angie's fiance, Lou, and he was also one of Donna's really good friends because he would 
come over frequently and, you know, him and Donna just got to know each other a lot more. He was in the apartment one afternoon when Donna was out and heard rustling in her room. I'm sorry, I said that completely wrong. Angie's fiance, who was also Donna's best friend, because, you know, he would come in and out frequently, Lou, was in the apartment one afternoon when Donna was out, and he randomly just heard rustling throughout her room. And he went in to investigate, obviously, who was He thought that someone may have broken in. Lou waited for the wrestling to stop before entering the room and turned on the lights. However, he found no sign of forced entry, but found Annabelle lying face down on the ground in the corner. He walked over to pick Annabelle, but as he did, he began to get the feeling someone or something was behind him. Lou spun around, but found that nothing was there. And I believe no sources re- no sources that I read really completely iterate this point, but I believe that it was due to him picking up Annabelle. However, I'm not 100% sure. He felt this sudden agony in his chest and looked down to find seven claw-like scratches on it, four horizontal and three vertical scratches. And two days later, these marks vanished without a trace. From him? On him. The ones that were on him vanished without a trace. No, I don't like it. Hmm. Are you sure? Because, um... Pretty sure. It could be fun. I don't know. And for the following, some say this is another instance that occurred and others say it's just the same version of the same story, but just twisted up in mumbo jumbo. So a couple of sources say that Lou awoke suddenly from a deep sleep and realized that he was unable to move. He saw Annabelle the doll at his feet and watched as it glided up his leg and over his chest. The usage of gliding in this is no. highly disturbing. That's what it's my face. Like <laughs> no, I don't like it. Can we um? Can we change the story to not involve the word gliding? Walking. I'm okay with walking. I'm okay Float. with hovering. I'm okay with floated. Yeah. Before he knew it, Annabelle the doll had begun to strangle him until he blacked out. And he woke up the next morning certain that this, in fact, was not a dream whatsoever. And as I said, those are either two separate versions of the same occurrence or they are their one version of one story and then another version of another story based on different sources. So it's really hard to tell. This guy, this is Lou? Yes. This is the one that's helped me help us save Lou? Because yeah. I don't know, I don't... 
help. I could be wrong, but I don't know if that's how you help someone. So I think you're wrong. From what I understand, based on the sources that I read, Lou was not very fond of Annabelle from the very beginning. He had a feeling that something was off about the doll, but he couldn't really pinpoint what it was. As I said, this was like the 1970s, so paranormal investigations weren't really up and popular at that time. And he really had no idea what he didn't like about this doll. He just knew that something was off. And so I think that if anything, that's kind of what the doll pinpointed on. And they specifically decided to terrorize Lou and not to terrorize Donna or Angie, AKA the roommates of this apartment. Uh, Annabelle was there first. Mm-hmm. Actually, Donna and Angie were there first. And- we're talking with just Lou though. Yeah. I'm talking about their rivalry. I got to, I got to back Annabelle. She was there first. Mm-hmm. And he was rude from the get-go for no reason. Just because he had a bad feeling about it. Oh, fuck Lee. Lou. Fuck Lou. <laughs> Don't know where Lee came from. <laughs> Lou. <laughs> All right. Following this incident, the women invited over a medium to help them solve whatever may have been going on in this apartment. And the medium held a seance to tell the women that the doll was inhabited by the spirit of a deceased seven-year-old girl named Annabelle Higgins. And there are two accounts of the story of Annabelle Higgins. The first one that was presented in the demonologist book by Angie Piper, P-Y-P-E-R, not P-I-P-E-R. He tells the story that accounts of Ed and Lorraine Warren and their paranormal experiences and states that Annabelle's lifeless body had been discovered in the fields. Now, I'm not 100% sure what the fields mean. Just know that it kind of means around the apartment area in general but that's really all I got from the sources that I read now out of compassion Donna and Angie permitted the spirits that they thought was that of Annabelle to stay with them and to possess the doll the other account told by Ed Warren in a 1980s video tour of the women of the Warren's Occult Museum accounts that the medium told Donna and Annabelle. Let me start that over. Y'all, I'm sorry. I'm a little wasted. I've had three Trulies plus two. This is my sixth. Okay. (laughs) The other. Hold on. Where did the math go on that one? Yeah, I was reading three, two, two, three, two. Two. No, I've had six. Well, okay, so I've got one, two. Oh, wait, no, this one hasn't even been opened. I'm on my fifth, but I am drunk. So okay. we were at three, two plus three plus one equals six minus one equals yes, five. five. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
The other, told by Ed Warren in a 1980s video tour of the Women's Occult Museum, accounts that the medium told Donna that Annabelle had died in an automobile accident outside Donna and Angie's apartment. And in this video, I'd like to say that Ed Warren states that Annabelle was six and not seven. So she's between the age of six and seven. Regardless of what exactly the medium said, she claimed, or he, claims that the spirit was benevolent and simply wanted to be loved and cared for. The nurses felt bad for the spirit and consented to allow her to take up permanent residence in the doll. Mistake number one. Actually, there's a few mistakes, but this is one of them. Eventually, in an attempt to rid their home of Annabelle's spirit, and roughly a year after these movements or strange occurrences started to happen, Donna and Angie called on an Episcopal priest known as Father Hegan. Hegan contacted his superior, Father Crook, who then alerted Lorraine and Ed Warren. Now, Ed and Lorraine Warren told the young women that the trouble initially started when they began believing that the doll deserved their sympathy, aka when they thought that this doll inhabited the spirit of a six to seven year old young girl who had previously died. Wait, the Warren- did you say the doll inhabited the spirit? Because I think the spirit inhabited the doll. This, that's what I meant. Okay. I mean, <laughs> my <sure>. bad. <laughs> I-, I was like, how did the doll inhabit the spirit? That sounds like a neat party trick. <laughs> the Warrens believed that there was a demonic force in search of a human host within Annabelle and not a benevolent soul. The Warrens' accounts of this case state, and this is an entire quote, I'll say end quote when it ends. The woman had told them, the medium, that there was a spirit of a seven-year-old girl by the name of Annabelle who had been killed outside of their apartment in an automobile accident. Well, there was such a child, but God does not allow a child's spirit to go into a doll. This was a devil, a demon, inside the doll, which was impersonated in spirits of a young child. Spirits do not possess inanimate objects like houses or toys. They possess people. An inhumane spirit can attach itself to a place or object. And this is what occurred in the Annabelle case. This spirit manipulated the doll and created the illusion of it being alive in order to get recognition. Truly, the spirit was not looking to stay attached to the doll. It was looking to possess a human host, end quote. So immediately after this, the Warrens noted that they believed there were signs of demonic possession, including teleportation, a.k.a. the doll moving on its own, materialization, the parchment paper notes, and the, quote, mark of the beast, or lose 
chest that was clawed by the seven claw-like marks. They ordered an exorcism of the apartments to be performed by Father Crook and took Annabelle out of the apartments and to her final resting place in the occult museum and the hopes that her demonic reign would finally end. However, following Annabelle's removal from Donna and Angie's apartments, the Warrens documented several experiences involving the doll, and the first was just minutes after taking possession of her. So, after the exorcism of the women's apartment, the Warrens buckled Annabelle into the back seat of their car with a seatbelt, just as you would normally do with a child, and told themselves they would not take the highway in case this doll, Annabelle, had some sort of accident-causing power that took control over their vehicle. However, on their way home through the back roads, Lorraine claimed that the brakes either stalled or failed several times, resulting in, resulting in near-disastrous crashes. Lorraine claims that as soon as Ed pulled water out of his bag and doused Annabelle with it, the problem with the brakes just completely disappeared. And you want to play with Ouija boards? Fuck yeah, I want to play with Ouija boards, bitch. I'm down. Let's no. fucking go. Shit! If y'all want to get me anything for Valentine's Day slash um, Jack and I's anniversary, um... Y'all should get me a fucking Ouija board. By the I way, never, Jack and I's anniversary no. is April 4th. April Fool's. Pretty easy to remember. I will never in my entire life buy anybody a Ouija board. For that matter, I don't buy other people anniversary gifts, let alone like me and Cody. So what makes you think I'm sending you guys an anniversary gift? Um, my bitch ass Leo ass. <laughs> bitch ass Leo ass. Um, cause I'm a Leo and my horoscope says that I'm the queen of everything. So that's why I expect you to get me. I expect you to get me an anniversary gift. The end. Good, good okay. One. I feel like it's, I should tell you right now, I'm not getting you an anniversary gift. <laughs> I'm definitely not getting you an anniversary gift. Whatever. Y'all is so dumb. I know that y'all are going to get me one. Okay. The <laughs> end. <laughs> Jack, hey Jack, if you're listening, can you get her three gifts? One from me, one from Amanda, and one from you. Thank you. No, don't start that habit for me. You can leave me out of it. I'll tell him. To, I'll tell him that he has to listen to episode 18. Listen, he's just buying them on our behalf. We don't have to pay for it, Amanda, so it's fine. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but unless he's going to do it every day for the rest of his life, don't put me on that train. It's for their anniversary. Upon arriving home, Ed and Lorraine Warren placed. Annabelle into Ed's study. There, they reported that she levitated and moved about around the house. She was even placed in 
a locked office in an outer building and the Warrens claimed she would later turn up within the house, inside of the house, which was very creepy. And finally, the Warrens decided to lock Annabelle up for good. A specially made glass wood case constructed, what? which... I'm sorry, I lost my place, y'all. I was trying to play it off, but okay, I'll restart. They had a specially made glass wood case constructed case, which they inscribed the Lord's Prayer and St. Michael's Prayer. For the rest of his life, Ed would have periodically said a binding prayer over the case, ensuring that the sinister spirit and the doll remained good and trapped. However, those of you who have followed Ed and Lorraine Warren know that they know that Ed had previously died in 2006 on August 23rd. And since being locked up, Annabelle the doll has not moved. However, it is alleged that her spirit has found a way to reach out, and this is a quote, to the earthly plane. I'm not exactly sure where I quoted that from because I did not source it, but however you are, thank you. There was allegedly a priest who visited the Warrens Museum and picked up Annabelle. He discounted her demonic abilities. However, Ed warns the priest about mocking Annabelle's demonic power. The young priest just simply laughed him off. However, on his way home, he was involved in a car crash that completely totaled his car and was said to be near fatal injuries. And was said that there were near was said there were near fatal injuries that occurred. He claims to have seen Annabelle in his rearview mirror right before the accident. That's heinous. I know. I would get myself. Oh my god! It gets even worse. Trust me. Perfect. Years later, another visitor wrapped on the glass and i'm not necessarily sure what wrapped means knocked but knocked okay they knocked on the glass of the annabelle doll's case and he just laughed at the people who believed in her because he thought that the entire story of annabelle was just completely hilarious he didn't believe in it whatsoever that doesn't mean you have to be a disrespectful douchebag though like you don't have to you know downplay other people yeah on his way home he lost control of his motorcycle and crashed head-on into a tree the man was killed instantly and his girlfriend barely survived like she was in the hospital she just barely survived 
she claims that at the time of the accident, they had been laughing about the Annabelle doll, which is ironic because it literally says over the glass of the Annabelle doll, do not under any circumstances do this, this, and I know that it doesn't state that in the pictures that I showed, but it does say, do not do this, this, and this, and one of this is do not laugh or do anything against Annabelle. They warned you. Over the years, the Warrens continued to recount these tales as proof that Annabelle did exist, that the demonic force within her did exist, though none of these stories could ever be corroborated. The names of the young priest and the motorcyclist were never divulged, and the motorcyclist being the previous man who had crashed his motorcycle and who died and his um, girlfriends lived to tell the tale. Donna or Angie, the two nurses who were Annabelle's first victims, never came forward with their story. And Father Crook and Father Hegan never mentioned the exorcisms ever again. So this story is all up to debate. But as I said at the very beginning, it's become extremely extremely popularized by these movies the conjuring and the conjuring 2 and i'm not exactly sure what the third movie is because i haven't seen it but the conjuring, conjuring 3 is something we'll just say the conjuring 3 yeah the more and conjuring yeah they've become extremely popularized by this movie series but the story is up for debate the actual true story. Nobody has seemed to step forward and to say, yeah, these occurrences actually did happen to me. However, the reason that Ed and Lorraine Warren did become so popular is ironically because of this Annabelle doll, because they seem to have popularized the victims and the doll so much to the point where there became a movie about it. And it's really not known to this day whether this true story is actually true or obviously the movie version is not actually the true story. But if the true version of the story is actually true or if it's just a different version of the Warrens, but this is a specific story stated by the Warrens of what exactly happened during the Annabelle encounters. That's the problem with movies. Like, you never, just because they're based on a true story, oh my god, they could be so far from the actual story. I would also like to say, I don't know if you're going to bring it up or not, Zach uh, Bagans also they pulled her out for his show. Like that physical doll. Why? And Zach no. Bagans touched it. 
I almost vomited. Not actually read that. I could not find that in anything that I had read. I just thought the episode, so. Yeah, you're talking to the Ghost Adventures Rolodex here. Are you saying I'm the Rolodex? Yes. <laughs> I'm saying Bryce is the Ghost Adventures Rolodex. We should just hire me on. <laughs> Archivist. Mm-hmm. Episode number six, season two. We're going to get 49 Actually, and a half. number 18, season one, because we only have ever one season. Oh, I'm talking about for Ghost Adventures. Don't do that. Oh, my God. But yeah, that's the story of Annabelle. Both of you don't do that. I caught it. I caught it. It's contagious. You better have. Wait. What is contagious? The yawn. What? You yawned. Oh, yawn. Okay. What did you think we said? Oh, did she go again? <laughs> I don't know. Haunt? <laughs> Y'all, sometimes when I want Annie to go to sleep and she's not exactly tired, I'll stand in front of her crib and keep yawning. Eventually she goes to sleep. Yeah, well, if it works, it works. That was a wild ride. Yeah, this was uh, a... This was an episode. This is one of those episodes where I just was like listening very intently so that I could very quickly mm-hmm. forget everything that was said. So. Because she loves us and she loves to hear our voices. Yes. Yes. I mean, every time I blink, I miss you a little more. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well. Oh, that one was a wild ride. I don't know. I don't know how we follow that one up. Oh, I know exactly how. I'm very excited to give y'all my paranormal story. Oh, you gave us a teaser about it. Well, me and Bree had a teaser. I had to think about it for a second. And I think that's why I might have thought that this was a paranormal story for so long when you were telling yours, Amanda. Because you had said something about it and I was so excited about the different, about your surprise. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I don't want to ruin it if you don't want me to, but no, don't. About your surprise that I was like, it better be this episode, and then mm-hmm. I don't know. What well, see, that's the most fun part. Annabelle's story. Jeez, that hurts my feelings, Bryce. You hate me that much. That was not what I said. I heard what you said. You were very rude. You hated my story. You hated my story. And you were looking forward to Amanda's instead. Amanda's was first. Look, all I knew is I didn't do anything tonight. That's all I knew. You were looking forward to Amanda's paranormal story instead of mine. Because she was telling me about it beforehand. And it hurts my feelings. I think you're just going to have to grow up and put your big girl panties on. Thank you for not saying grow a pair because that pisses me off so much when people say that. Literally, I say that. Oh, I don't have a pair to grow. I don't want to grow a fucking pair. You I want to have a pair, pair of grow. fucking ovaries. You do have multiple yeah. pairs. You can metaphorically grow a pair. Yeah. You can literally grow a pair. My dad's got some trees in his yard. But I mean, you don't have to grow a pair of testicles well, that's not what we're we're not asking you to get into some stem cell stuff here a pair of ovaries <laughs> I, 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 I hope those already mine. grown yeah 
Men, well, I work or not, you I can have grow them, a pair so, of you know, I don't know what else Cheers. to say other than Bing. I'm not growing them anymore. I think they're grown. I think so. Yeah. They're All definitely right. grown by now. All right. Well, thank you, thank you everyone for listening to Hell on Hills Podcast. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hell on Hills Podcast and also on Facebook, Hell on Hills Podcast. Um, if you want to support us, you can donate through Patreon. If you have your own true crime or paranormal stories, please email us at hellonhillspodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Linktree. Easiest way to find us is just go to our Instagram and the Linktree link is right there. So that's that's where you'll go for that. Big shout out to James, Amanda's husband, for creating our intro music. Thank you, James. We appreciate it for the millionth time. Um, oh, he's all right. Don't get, Don't let him get a big head. James, you're fine. I like it. It's fine. Anyways, be sure to like, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you can. And we have said this on the past few episodes, but you can now rate us on Spotify. Still rate and review on on Apple Podcasts. That would be wonderful. Um, and if and we Spotify. are not on your... They can't review us on Apple. So um, if no, you're... Sp- if we're, Spotify. I already said, said Spotify. Apple. I already but said you Spotify. said app- you said Apple. Yes. What, rate and review us on Apple. But I, I, already, I mentioned only Spotify. rate and review on Spotify. No, you can rate only on Spotify. And then you can rate and review on Apple. Shit. Sorry, I didn't mean to I... interrupt you. <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> I'm so making going. <laughs> yeah. Um, now I lost where I was. Way to go. Oh. <laughs> If we're not on your preferred listening platform, please let us know and we will work on getting those episodes up on those platforms. And then this has been Hell on Heels podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Bye. 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 Bye.